Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Grace. Um, if you guys will stand with us, and also, there's still some people coming in, so if you can squeeze in a little bit from the aisles so they can have a place to come, that would be awesome. But let's, let's sing out together. Y'all can put your hands together with us if you'd like. Lift 
It's great to worship with y'all. You can take a seat. If you will bow your heads, we're going to spend some time in confession before God this morning. Father God, we come before you as a people that confess, that agree with you, that the problem in the world is not out there, but it's inside of us. Lord, we confess that we stray from you, that we have not lived up to the glory that you made us for, that we have sinned and fallen short of your designs for our life. Father, you tell us in 1 John 1 that there are two kinds of people in this world, that there are those that deny that they have any sin, that they have any failure, and they lie. But there's those also that confess their sins. And the promise is that you are faithful and, in, and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, Father, we agree with you. We confess that we are sinners, but we also take hope in you. We rejoice in you, that you are our life, that you are our salvation. That we have forgiveness and cleansing in you, and we come to you to be set free from the power of sin and death in our lives. We come to you asking you to fill us, to transform us, and to use us to represent you in this community and in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Let's go. 
as we sing these songs God I pray that you will help us to worship as we dive into your truth and Lord help us to worship as we leave this place by being obedient to you it's your name I pray Amen well good morning again Good morning. You didn't do so good the second time. You know, great this morning, early. Good morning. And uh, if you want to open up your Bibles, if you have one, to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And if you don't have a Bible and you'd like to follow along, we have some under the chairs, and we are in page 996 uh, in those black ones under the chairs. You can grab those. We've told you this series in 2 Timothy we've been calling Carry On, uh, and we'll be finishing with the last sermon today, finishing with that theme and the idea you can see from the picture is that uh, the growth that we have here would move outwards. Uh, it's a little symbolic here, but we've got the city and we've got growth moving out into the desert. And what we've seen in the pastoral epistles, the pastoral letters that Paul wrote to Titus and to Timothy is that Paul wants to make sure that both the truth is protected, but that that truth also moves out. That, that it's not just a fortress where it's protected and we keep people out, but it's it's moving forward, that people are being engaged with the truth, with the, the hope that we have in the gospel, that that hope is moving out and carrying on to others. And we've talked about how this is uh, the last letter that Paul wrote, and I've talked about how we picked these letters because as a church, we're kind of going through some transitions. We're about, we're about to hit four years old as a church, and we're kind of moving from like a baby church to an awkward adolescent church, you know, and I've talked about that, how how we appear to be mature, but we still uh, need a lot of help. We still need to grow up a little bit. And so we're looking here at Paul's instructions about how churches should function. And, and as we move forward and think about carrying on, we've also talked about how, how June and the summer is kind of a transition time. And I wanted to recognize some people that are uh, moving on from here. One of the reasons we need to be careful about uh, making sure that we think about multiplying and think about getting more people engaged in service here at the church and more people engaged in leadership is because we happen to be in a town where people move in and out very frequently. I don't know if you've noticed that, but in Colleen, people move a little quicker than, than in other cities. I don't know if you've picked that up. Um, but we have people moving in and out a lot. And I want to recognize some folks that have been a blessing to us over the years. Um, one person that's just transitioning out of leadership, but they'll actually still be here for a while. I don't think they're here this morning, though, but I'm going to go ahead and say her name. Carrie Parker. Are Carrie and Adam Parker in the service? 
No, they're playing hooky today, I guess. So anyway, when you get a chance, maybe next week, I just want you to give her a hug. I think it's actually her birthday today, too. She's turning probably 29. Um, and uh, just make sure you tell her happy birthday, but also tell her thank you for the whole time this church has existed. Uh, she's been our children's Sunday school director and has just recently stepped down from that to do other things. But make sure you thank her for that service. I also want to recognize a few families that are actually PCSing, that are actually moving to a new location. Um, I've had a lot of bitterness over this, but I'm now over it. I've forgiven them, and so now I want to recognize them and thank them publicly. Um, Mark and Tracy Anderson. Mark and Tracy, are you all here today? I think they may be playing hooky, too, for graduation. All right, we'll have, to, we'll have to say hi to them next week. But Tracy has been our nursery director for several years and has passed that over to Lisa Daniels recently. And Mark has been one of our deacons. But make sure you tell them goodbye and give them a hug and tell them that you love them. Uh, they've been with the church from the beginning, and now they're moving to uh, the Seattle, Washington area. Um, Nathan and May Stevens, they were in the earlier service. Make sure you say hello and goodbye to Nathan and May. Give them a hug. Uh, they'll be moving this week. Uh, Nathan's been one of our deacons, and May has been one of the Bible study fellowship leaders in this area. Uh, so make sure you thank them as well. We will miss them. Also, Johnny and Taylor Russell. Are Johnny and Taylor in here today? I don't think they're here today either. Memorial Day weekend. A lot of people playing hooky. Uh, but make sure you thank them. Give them a hug. They'll be moving later on in about a month. Uh, but thank them for their service as well. Johnny's been a deacon here, and they've been involved from the beginning as well. Um, and Johnny is our area Young Life director. He'll be moving to, uh, to start leading Young Life in the Tyler, Texas area. Um, so make sure you bless them and pray for them as they move on to, uh, to new ministry and uh, new locations. I also want to recognize those that are deploying. We've got a lot of guys, I think, that are deploying at the end of the summer and maybe a little later than that. If you're uh, deploying in the next uh, three to six months, could you stand? We want to recognize you guys and pray for you. You're deploying soon. I know several are heading out. All right. Why don't you remain standing? Keep it awkward. Remain standing. And, uh, and I'll pray for you. Let me pray for you. Father, we pray for these folks and pray that your spirit would be with them. We pray for your comfort with them, that they would be aware of your presence uh, as, your, as their father, that they can call out to at any moment, that you would shepherd them uh, through difficulty, that they would know that you are with them, that you would keep them safe, that you would use them uh, to be your representative. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you, guys. At this time, I'm going to have you go ahead and open up. We'll look and read from chapter 4. We'll look at verses 9 through 22. So we'll go ahead and read this together. And I have a little quote I want to share right before I read it from, from Tony Snow. I don't know if you all remember Tony Snow, but he was a reporter for a while, and he was White House press secretary for a little while and recently died of cancer. And, and talked about kind of the difficulty of carrying on in hard circumstances we talked about how Paul is in that position. He's dying. This is his last will and testament here in 2 Timothy. And he's encouraging Timothy to carry on against opposition and in difficult circumstances. Tony said this about his struggle with cancer and just life in general. He says, We want lives of simple, predictable ease, smooth, even trails as far as the eye can see. But God likes to go off-road. And that was his idea that, you know what, we, we want it to be easy, right? And sometimes we think that that's what it means to follow Christ. But he says often God wants to take us off-road. God wants to take us maybe through something unpredictable, something difficult. Um, and God wants us to carry on and be faithful to him wherever he takes us. So let's read, starting in verse 9. Paul says, Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. 
When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me, and he strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prissa and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth. And I left Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. Dear best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Let's pray and uh, ask God to teach us out of this text this morning. Lord, we pray that you would teach us, that your spirit would come and apply what we have read. Help us to, to hear it and to understand it. Open our eyes, open our hearts, so that we would be submissive to you. Lord, we thank you that you haven't left us without instructions, but you've spoken to us through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I thought about carrying on, and, and this idea that we would keep going, uh, I found a story uh, in a magazine, a business magazine called Fast Company, about a man named David Kelly. David Kelly is a very famous designer, um, works in the kind of design, engineering, design uh, industry. A uh, very famous designer that started a, a company called Ideo, or Ideo, I don't know how you say it. Anyway, some weird word of his company. And he's also a professor at Stanford, and uh, so he's the one that's kind of setting the pace these days in the design world. And he talked about his own struggle with cancer. He got cancer several years ago, and in an interview he talked about what it took for him to carry on and to keep fighting uh, in the face of cancer and very difficult chemotherapy treatments. He talked about how at first he was kind of thinking this through and, and thinking that um, just being loved by his family and how much he would miss his family is what kind of kept him going. But he said after a while it got so difficult that he just, he just wanted to be done. He just wanted to give up. And he said the thing that kind of turned the corner for him was thinking about his role, his job that he'd been left here to do as a father that he was a father, that he was a husband, and that he had a role and a calling to love them. And that that's what actually gave him the strength to keep fighting when the chemo was really terrible, when he had sores in his throat and his hair was falling out and he felt sick all the time and he was just miserable going through this chemotherapy. He said one of the things that, that helped him continue to carry on is realizing that, that he had a role to fulfill, that he was there to love his daughter that he was there to love his wife, that he had a role to fulfill. And, and that's really kind of where the Apostle Paul has found himself. We've quoted many times going back to Philippians where Paul says, you know what, it would be better by far for me to die and go to heaven. That would be better by far, but God has left me here because I have a job to do. God has left me here for your sake, for your benefit. And I think as a church, we need to remember that we have a calling. That part of being God's people is, is not, again, so that everything will be perfect and rosy for us. We, we don't follow God so he'll just fix everything now. We follow him because he is true and because he is good. And we have a future hope of all things being made right. But we carry on now because God has a role for us to fulfill. God has a mission that he's given us. And Paul talks about the different things, the context in which we 
carry on here to Timothy. And I think the first thing that really stands out here is that we are called to carry on in community. I don't know if you can see that there on the screen, but the idea is that we are to carry on in community, that we're not a lone ranger. Many of us think that the Christian life is just a, an individual relationship with God. And I believe that our salvation isn't an individual relationship, that our salvation is one person standing before God, recognizing that they're a sinner, that they need Christ to forgive them, that Christ died on the cross for us, and, and that is an individual exchange before God. But God saves us and places us into community, and he calls the church to be his community, to do his work. And that's our role as God's people. And we see this, this great example with the Apostle Paul. Because the Apostle Paul is like the super Christian, right? He's the one that's planting all these churches, and he's the one that's preaching the gospel and getting beat up and thrown out of a city, and then he preaches the gospel some more. And we can see him as, as a superhero. We can see him as this incredible figure. And it's, it might be easy to think that he's something more than just a regular human. But here we see that he needs community just like the rest of us. He needs a team. He can't do it by himself, and I think that's an important message for us. We can't do the Christian life by ourselves. We can't be individuals. We cannot be Lone Ranger Christians. And that's why we continue to beat the drum for all of you that we want you engaged in Christian community. We don't want you trying to do the Christian life by yourself, but we want you to have people that you can call on in times of need. Here in this chapter, we see Paul telling Timothy in verse 9, he says, Do your best to come to me soon. He's saying, Timothy, I need you. Do you have people like that in your life that you can call on? I found a picture here of a phone just to give that image to you of who is the person that you would call on. And are you that person for somebody else? Are you the kind of person that people can call on in difficult circumstances? That 2 a.m. phone call when, when your life is falling apart, who would you call on? Do you have that kind of community within the church? And if you don't, you should move towards that. That's the goal, that we should live that kind of life, that we should be walking by faith in real community where we can lean on each other. And what's great here is Paul doesn't just say to Timothy, come to me quickly and that's it. I mean, we know that Timothy's his friend. We know that he's like a son in the faith and they've done ministry together and, and he's relying and leaning on Timothy. And we, we see all that, but we, give, we get like practical applications here as well. Look in verse 13. It says, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. Also the books, and above all, the parchments. It's real concrete help that he's giving. He's not just answering the phone, saying, all right, Paul, hang in there, see you later. He's asking Timothy to help him. And that's what Christian community means as well, that we would actually be significantly, concretely involved in each other's lives. That we would actually bring the things that people need. We have this cool picture in Acts chapter 2, when the church is just starting, and it says that the church shared everything in common. They actually shared their stuff with each other. And that's what part of Christian community means. Not just someone to call, not just someone to pray with you, but actually giving you something if you need something, helping you in times of difficulty. Here Paul is telling Timothy, bring me the cloak. It's getting cold in the dungeon. He, he needs his coat. He's asking Timothy to bring it to him. He's saying, bring me the parchments and, and the scrolls, the books, things that I want to read, we, we assume this is, this is God's word or writings about the scriptures or other things that Paul needs to read. He's asking for Timothy to make a real difference in his life. And that's what it means to be engaged in Christian community, that we would actually share things with each other, that we would actually help each other. He talks in verse 10 about Demas, that Demas has deserted him. 
He says, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. We don't know if Demas has deserted the faith or if Demas is just a wimpy Christian that's just deserted Paul because, you know, you can get in serious trouble if you hang out with Paul for too long, get yourself beat up, thrown in prison. And so maybe he's just deserted Paul. We don't know if he's deserted Jesus or not, but the idea is that Paul here is alone, saying he's deserted me. He goes on to describe these other people that have left too. And it, we think from context that these are people that Paul has actually sent out on mission. He talks about Crescens. He says Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus has gone to Dalmatia. And then in verse 11, he says, Luke alone is with me. Apparently, Luke is the only one left. Luke, who we see in the book of Acts, partnering with Paul and helping Paul, the one that wrote the book of Acts and wrote the gospel of Luke. Luke here is the last one with him. He's the only friend that Paul has left. And that's part of why Paul is calling on Timothy to come to him. It's interesting. After that, he says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Anybody know any of the background story of Paul and Mark? Anybody here read chapter 15 and 16 of Acts? Uh, Mark was one of the early helpers of Paul in ministry. When you read the book of Acts, you see these journeys where Paul goes and he's sharing the gospel with people town to town, planting churches, sharing the faith, evangelizing. And Mark partnered with him for a little while. And then Mark fell out and couldn't stay with him anymore. What's interesting is Barnabas was the first guy to partner with Paul. And Barnabas, if, if you know the story in Acts, Barnabas is kind of one who, who builds people up. His name literally means son of encouragement. We think that was really just his nickname, Barnabas. It wasn't probably his real name, but that he was the person that encouraged others because he has other names in the scriptures as well. And so Barnabas is this, this people builder, this guy that rebuilds people. So Paul, when he's making this transition from being the guy that kills Christians to the guy that preaches Christ... When Paul's making that kind of rough transition, as you can imagine, that'd be a little rough moving from killer of Christians to preacher of Christ. But Barnabas is the one that helps him make that transition. Barnabas is the one that comes alongside Paul and supports him and partners with him in ministry and travels with him and tells the other guys, no, no, he's all right. He's not a murderer anymore. He's okay now. And, and uh, encourages people to accept Paul into the faith and, and works with Paul and helps Paul to grow and helps build Paul up to be who he is. So when Paul is frustrated with Mark for dropping out and Barnabas wants to take Paul, you could understand, because Barnabas wants to rebuild Mark. Excuse me, I'm getting names mixed up. Barnabas wants to rebuild Mark and take him with them. Paul says, no, I don't trust him. He's already bailed out on us. So they split. They have a difficult split. They set up their two different missionary organizations. They go different directions. And you've got Barnabas taking Mark to rebuild him. And Paul going off on his own, getting Silas, getting Timothy, picking up other people, starting a new team. But here we see that Mark is restored. Here in verse 11 he says, Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful for me in ministry. And I want to encourage you because you may be right now a Mark. You may be right now in that place where Mark was, where he let down Paul, where he failed. He blew it and he knew that he had blown it. And Paul had every right to not trust him anymore and not to bring him on the next mission. And you may be in that position. You may have let down someone important in your life. And, and I'm praying that God would bring a Barnabas to you to help rebuild you. But I want to encourage you that you can get back on track. Because here Paul and, and uh, Mark were restored together. He says, Mark is very useful to me. Please bring him. He, he names him by name, says, this is a guy that I want to come. Timothy, will you bring him with you to come visit because he's very useful to me. He's a blessing to me. 
I want to encourage you that, that you may be failing at, at one closed door, but that just may mean God's leading you to some other open door. And what we see in, in the life of Mark is that God actually then used him to write the gospel of Mark. He partnered with Barnabas. He partnered with Peter to write this gospel to tell the story of Jesus. So he may have been a terrible missionary, but he wrote one of the books of the Bible. And God used him for great things. And so if you're in one of those places where you've failed and you've blown it, that, that doesn't mean it's the end for you. God still has a call on your life. God still wants you to use the gifts that he's given you to further his church, to carry on. Too often in church life, we have some kind of conflict or we blow it or something goes bad and we just give up. We say, forget this church stuff. I'm, I'm out of here. And we just check out. My encouragement to you is to, is to hang on, is to carry on in community, recognizing that part of being community is that we all have different roles. You may not be cut out like Mark was to do this, but you may be cut out for something else and to continue to be faithful with the gifts that God has given you. Paul repeatedly uses this illustration that we're like a body and we're like different body parts in the body, that the church is the body and the finger is different than the nose, is different than the ear, is different than the foot, and everybody has a different role. And you don't have to look like the Christian next to you. You just have to be faithful to listen to God and to obey him with the gifts that he's given you, to use those to further his kingdom, to honor him, to do your work with excellence, to join with us here as a church, to build up what God is doing, to multiply his efforts. As it talks about in the Great Commission, that we are here to preach the gospel to all the nations. We are to share what God's given us with others, not to just hold it here, but continue to be faithful, to continue to carry on in community. My other question is, again, just before we move on, do you have that 2 a.m. person? And if you don't have that 2 a.m. person that you can call in the middle of the night when something's difficult, I would encourage you that the first step is not to just be depressed because you don't have someone like that in your life, but to become that person for someone else, to begin to engage in Christian community so that you are that person, so that then you also have someone to call on but you can be someone that can be called upon in a time of need, like Mark, like Timothy. Well, the next thing that we see is we have to carry on against opposition. It's not going to be easy. And we've seen this again and again in Second Timothy. If you all have been here with us, those of you that have been here as we've been looking at Second Timothy, we've seen this theme again and again. Paul said that anyone that wants to be faithful to Jesus, that wants to grow in him, is, is going to be persecuted. Anybody that wants to live a godly life and follow Christ, that's just part of it. You don't follow Christ so that your life will be rosy now, but you follow Christ because he has saved you, because he has given you life. And then he calls on you to follow him in giving yourself for others. And there's going to be opposition. And there's going to be difficulty. There will be resistance. When we look at these verses, there's this verse in 14 where he says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. And he says, the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Paul doesn't have to get revenge. He doesn't say, all right, so take him out, Timothy. That's not what he says, right? That's not how the church does our business. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. In 15 he says, but beware of him yourself, Timothy, for he strongly opposed our message. There will be people that strongly oppose this gospel, this good news of who Jesus is. There will be people that come to the church and say, no, we really need to be about this message or that message. And the central message of the church, as we've talked about before, is who Jesus is and what he's done for us. If we don't continue to maintain that message and keep that central, then we're not a church anymore. 
And I've said before, service organizations are great, and many of you are members, and I've been members of different service organizations, and those have their purpose, but they're not churches. And when we cease to keep the message of who Jesus is and the salvation that we have in him, that he set us free from sin so that we can live a life of service and reckless abandon because we're trusting God for our life, well, if we lose that message, then we're not a church anymore. We're, we're just a service organization. And that's a, that's a different thing altogether. Paul calls us to remember that we will be opposed, that there will be pushback, there will be temptations to give up on the message. He says, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. He says he was all by himself. Paul was all alone. He was opposed. People were resisting the message. I was thinking about this idea of, of pushback and resistance, and I thought of this, um, this quote by Frederick Nietzsche. You've probably heard me quote it before, and I'm not recommending Nietzsche to you because he's probably one of the most evil philosophers that's ever lived, but he does have this nice little quote um, that a lot of you have probably heard in the army or in sports. It says, whatever does not kill you will make you stronger. Whatever does not kill you will make you stronger. And it's that just basic fundamental principle that, that resistance and opposition in life actually does strengthen us. There, there's a pushback there. I, I found a picture here of people doing a bungee run. Uh, anybody ever done this like at a carnival where you strap on the jacket and there's a bungee cord that comes out your, from the jacket and you're running to see how far you can get and you're trying to race the other person to see if you can beat them while you're pulling against this resistance, against this opposition. A lot of times people use that same concept for training in sports. If you're a swimmer or a runner, it's a way that you get stronger. That's what weightlifting is, right? It's working against opposition. It's working against resistance. And that's what actually strengthens us. Well, in the spiritual life, it, it's not something that, that happens apart from God, but it's something that happens in conjunction with our faith. You see, the resistance, we don't just get stronger and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps to do it. But in that difficulty, it forces us to rely more on God's strength. It forces us to rely more by faith on God so that he can carry us through in face of that opposition. There's a great verse in James chapter 1. He says, in James 1, 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, every time when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Literally, you stand your ground. Steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. He's saying, con consider it joy. The, the trial itself is not wonderful, but the opportunity to cling to Jesus, to rely on his strength, to stand your ground in faith, in this gospel, this gospel that in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, by which you take your stand. This gospel is what we stand in, and, and we continue to have opportunities to trust in him by faith when difficult times come. Again, it's not just about us becoming stronger. It's about us relying more on God's strength working through us. It's a supernatural act so that when opposition comes, we're, first of all, not surprised by it, and secondly, we use it as an opportunity to call out to God for help. Say, God, help me. Strengthen me. You don't have to have a fancy memorized prayer to do this. Just say, God, help me. Just call out to him. Say, God, use this for your glory. Strengthen me against this opposition so that I can be faithful to you, that I can continue to stand as Paul did in the midst of it. And that takes us to this, this last idea, that we do it by the Lord's strength, that we would carry on by the Lord's strength. It's not something we do just because we're tough. It's not something we do just because we're braver than other people. As we said, the building block of Christianity is that we would remain a confessing 
people. And in, in the Bible, the word confession just means agreeing. It means saying the same thing. That we would say the same thing as God. That yes, we're sinners. That we're broken. And we can't rely on our own flesh. Our strength is not enough. And we, by faith, must rely on the Lord's strength to be enough to carry us on, to help us see this thing through. 2 Timothy 4, 17. So he says he was all alone. At my first defense, nobody was there. And in verse 17, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me. That's the promise of Psalm 23, right? That the Lord is our shepherd. And even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil because he is with us. He walks with us. He doesn't keep us from walking through those difficult places, but he's with us in those difficult places. That's our promise. It says, The Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. So he says the reason he was strengthened is so that he could communicate the message to the Gentiles. Gentiles is a word that really just means the other nations. It's a Jewish way of saying the non-Jew tribes, which probably accounts for about 99% of us here. Most of us are not genetically or racially Jews, but we are the nations. We are the heathen. We are the Gentiles outside of the Jewish people who have now heard this message, who have now come by faith to be joined into God's people because of what he's done through Jesus Christ. So Paul's saying he's had this opportunity to continue to proclaim this message to more and more people. He says, so I was rescued from the lion's mouth. I had a picture here of that, just for an illustration. Um, I don't know if you, have you ever been to a circus and seen a lion tamer do this kind of thing, where he sticks his head in a lion's mouth? Um, seems pretty stupid, yes, I would admit. Doesn't seem like a smart thing to do. And I think what Paul is saying here is, is that God didn't rescue him from the lion's mouth just so he could show off like some kind of lion tamer and say, hey, look at me. I survived. Look at how great I am. But he says so they could proclaim this message. That's why God rescued him. That's why God strengthened him. And that's the idea. And I think, too, I just wanted to do a little explanation here. Sometimes people get confused about this because we're not, we're not 100% sure whether he means a literal lion, like he was in a gladiator event and he was rescued from a literal lion, or if he means figuratively that God rescued me from death. I would say we, we think it's figurative. We think he just means he was rescued from death. Uh, for one thing, God continued to give him opportunities to appeal and go from court to court because he was a Roman citizen. And from what we understand of history, Roman citizens were not thrown to the gladiators. And so from what we understand at this point in history anyway, he would not have been in an actual gladiator fight. This was probably uh, figurative. The other reason we think this is figurative is because it's used that way in Psalm 22. And uh, this is a psalm that's quoted by Jesus where Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So this is a messianic psalm about God's role and his salvation in the church and in his Messiah. And here in Psalm 22 it says, But you, O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly to help me. Does that sound familiar? He's talking about God's strength. He says, Deliver my life from the sword. My precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my brothers. In the congregation, I will praise you. So again, we have this dynamic, and he lists a, a bunch of illustrations of death, right? The horns of the oxen, and the power of the dogs, and the power of the sword, and the mouth of the lion. And he's listing poetically all these different ways that you could die, and he's saying, God, deliver me from death. 
And so we believe that, that again here, Paul is just talking about how God, once again, let me appeal my case one more time. He's delivered me one more time so that I can continue to preach the message. It's really pretty sneaky. Paul is basically infiltrated into the courts of the Roman Empire where he's now preaching the gospel at every level of their court system to every ruler and every judge and every leader in the Roman Empire. Really pretty incredible stuff that God has given him this opportunity to preach the gospel to the nations, to the Gentiles, by infiltrating the court system and appealing again and again. And basically his court, his court case, his defense is just the gospel. This is this message that God has given me. That's, that's his court case that he continues to appeal and he gets to share with more and more soldiers and more and more judges and more and more leaders. Ultimately, though, at one point he finally dies. And, and that's what he talks about in verse 18. He says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul knows he's been rescued from death again and again. You know, all these times where he gets stoned and thrown out of a city and then he goes up and preaches to another town. And again and again he's been saved and he survived. I don't know if you've been through an experience like that where you've been rescued. You've been saved. You've survived something you shouldn't have survived. I've heard a lot of stories from people who miraculously God has saved you from a disease, from, from a cancer, from some terrible affliction that you've had. I know some of you have been saved miraculously from things in battle. You survived things that you didn't think you should have survived. I know some of you have survived miraculously from, from car wrecks that you shouldn't have survived. I've, I've been through one of those where you're in a car wreck and you're like, man, that was incredible. I cannot believe that, that I'm still alive. And you come out of something like that with this sense that God has a purpose in your life, don't you? You come out of that thinking, God's still got work for me to do. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, God still has work for me to do. But he says, ultimately, what he looks forward to is that ultimate salvation, that being brought into the heavenly kingdom. He says, I know that God ultimately is going to save me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. And that looking forward to that ultimate salvation knowing that God may not keep saving me from death, but when he's ready and when it's time for me to die, I'm going to be brought into his heavenly kingdom. That is the hope that Christians have. That God may not save you every time. You may not survive every car wreck. If I leave today and get hit by a bus, that means it's time for me to go. And God's safely bringing me into his heavenly kingdom. But if we have this confidence that he will bring us into that kingdom then we can live life more fully now. Then we can live life with a reckless abandon, knowing that God's going to take me whenever he's ready to take me. And I can live for him because I'm no longer afraid of death. I'm no longer scared of that. I can live by his strength, his strength that he has conquered death, and I don't have to be afraid of it any longer. And I hope that you find that same encouragement. I hope that you find that kind of faith that eventually God will carry you into his heavenly kingdom and you know that he can strengthen you to do everything that he calls you to do. God saves us for a purpose. Gary Haugen started this great organization called the International Justice Mission. What they do is they literally save people uh, from slavery. And, and we've got brochures out there in the hallway for them. And, and he has this great illustration about bodybuilders and how bodybuilders so often all of, all of the muscle, all of the power, all of the strength is just for show, right? It's just to be looked at. It's just to be admired. Instead of developing muscle to be useful. Paul's saying that's why God keeps us alive. That's why God saves us. That's why God has you here. He has a purpose for you. 
He wants you to carry on his work in this planet, in this broken world. He wants you to communicate his love and his redemption and the hope that we have in him to others around you. That's why you are still here. And I just want to close with this, this last verse here. In this last verse, in verse 22, he says, The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. It says, The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. And that's what we need to survive this world. That's what we need to survive the difficulty that we face, knowing that the Lord is with us, knowing that we need his grace. I had an interesting little illustration I found about Brett Favre. Anybody ever heard of Brett Favre? He's a somewhat famous quarterback. A few of you, if you've watched football, you may have heard of him. Uh, but he's, he's got the uh, pass completion record and also got the uh, touchdown pass record a couple of years ago. I think he's still holding on to that. Um, but he also has another interesting record. Anybody else know what the other record is that went with those other records? Interceptions. Yeah. He's got the most interceptions in NFL history as well. There's another famous uh, athlete, Babe Ruth, who kind of has similar dynamic. His records aren't still standing, but he was one of the best home run hitters in the history of the game. And he also had one of the worst batting averages in the history of the game as well. And I want to encourage you that God calls on us to take risks. You see, we, have, we can have two different views of God. You can have this view of God that he's an ogre waiting to smack you. And that can terrify you. And you're just worried about making any mistake. And you don't want to step out in faith because you know, well, if I do the wrong thing, he's going to smack me. Instead, the picture of the Bible is that God is a good father that loves you. He's not just waiting there to smack you. But he's, he's a heavenly father that loves you. He's a father that, that is watching over you, that, that has work for you to do. I, I think of the image of when my children were riding their bicycle, and I would run behind them, and if they fell down, I would pick them back up. And if they started to wobble, I might grab the back of the seat. But I was there with them the whole time. That doesn't mean they never fell. It doesn't mean it was never difficult. But I was a father there waiting to pick them back up, to, waiting to help them complete the task. And that's the kind of father that we have. And if we have that view of God, we'll, we'll do great things for God. We might fail in great ways, too. Like Brett Favre, you may have a great touchdown pass record, but you also may have the interception record, too. But, but we should try. We should step out in faith. We will carry on because we know he's with us. He says, the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you empower us to serve you. Lord, I pray that you would use us wherever we are, that we would understand our role in what you're doing, that we would fulfill that role by using the gifts you've given us, by making an impact where we work, in the schools that we attend, and the jobs that we have, the families that you've placed us in, and the neighborhoods that we live in, that we would represent you well, that we would do everything for your glory, and we would step out in faith, not being afraid of failure, but being so thankful that you've forgiven us, that we're not afraid anymore. We pray this in Jesus' name.